You know, it's not about marketing. It's not at all. It's about how we help the developer figure out what they're trying to get done and just make it a little bit easier, right? Get them that answer a little bit faster, put the right tools in their hands at the right time, frankly, build tools that are going to help them you know, solve their problems. And when we do that, I think that's when we build trust um, because again, it's, we're helping them with their goals. With X Matters, you can respond and resolve issues with more agility through automated workflows, smart notifications, and event correlation so that your team can focus on what's important, delivering products at scale. Get started for free at xmatters.com slash winterbash. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk about all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, the Director of Content Marketing at Stack Overflow. And I have a very special guest today, Bill Pearson, who is the VP of the Internet of Things Group at Intel and a GM of Developer Enablement. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Nice to be here. So that's a long title. I know Intel specializes in those. Tell me, what does this mean? Like, boil it down for me. What are you working on over there? It's really simple. My team and I are responsible for helping developers create their dreams at the edge. And so it involves tools and you know technologies, but most important thing is helping those developers get their jobs done. For folks who don't know, what is the edge and what's interesting about it? Wow. Yeah, the edge is really just a way of thinking about compute in a distributed way. So you bring compute to where the data is. And uh, there's lots of reasons why you might do that. Uh, the cloud's often a great you know, place to do your work, but you can't always rely on the cloud with latency limitations sometimes. There's right. bandwidth, you, know, you have connectivity issues in say retail or manufacturing environments. And sometimes you just have privacy or security needs to to keep that processing local. So the yeah. idea of the edge is to, to be able to process the data where it, you know, where it needs to be. I ran into it in the drone world, you know, processing on the device if you were doing certain kinds of recording for live streaming. And recently I was chatting with some folks from Nexar and they talk about doing it when they're exactly as you said, sort of trying to filter out PII, you know, personally identifiable information on device before it would even come to them. So they don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff on their end. They can just, before it gets to the cloud, they try to sort of scrub it of personal information. All right, well, let's step back for a second. Tell us a little bit about sort of your journey into the world of software and how you ended up in the role you're in now. We usually ask folks if they don't mind too much to date themselves and tell us a little bit about, you know, the first machine they worked on, their first programming language, things of that nature. Yeah, we can go way back, you know, with that. So uh, I, I started programming on a Timex Sinclair ZX80. It was this little box that had the funniest keyboard. And uh, my dad <laughs> and I, we wire wrapped a, a 1K memory module for it. So, you know, could expand the programming. 1K. You would type in these programs from a magazine or, you know, you could write your own. But the, the trick with this one was it had no, no, no way to store the program. So you'd spend all right. the time typing it in. If you ran it, great. But then when you turn it off, it's, it's done. Okay, so one shot. One shot. And that was that was really for me educational. I learned a lot from that. I had a lot of fun with it. And you know, I went on to program on uh, TRS-80s and Commodore 64s and Apple IIs. You know, eventually got to the PC, which of course is right. fantastic, right? With that Timex and TRS, that's a watch and a calculator company based on my lived <laughs> experience, but I'm sure they yes. were great computers in their day. They were. And so then was that something at the time that was available in high school or in college? Did you get an education or did you move into industry separately? No. So that those things were available just, you know, in my house. I, I had a dad who was a geek. And so he, he passed that on. I'm a geek. But I did, you know, did go to school and, and get a degree in, in electrical computer engineering. I learned mm-hmm. how to program assembly and Fortran and C. 
it was a nice introduction to you know, the more sophisticated parts of computing and computer architecture and, and that sort of thing. Do you feel like that stuff ever comes in handy? Like, you know, assembly, does that give you any insight or context when you're thinking about modern software development? You know, the, the architectures, the, the designs, the thinking around computer architecture definitely helps me every day. But frankly, programming has, has been interesting. But what was fascinating for me, where I sort of fell in love with computing was around the systems. How Right. Complex programs all work together in a system to get something done. And boy, that, that's what inspires me. And that's where I've gravitated over the years to, to do more and more work of putting systems together that do more complex things. So you mentioned you're now at Intel and you're working on a team that's about the edge and enabling developers with those kinds of tools. So tell us a little bit, like, what are the changes that you're seeing out there in the industry? You know, the impact that's having on developers and a little bit about sort of, yeah, like what you're trying to empower them with. Yeah. So one of the things that that's just so obvious to me is uh, AI and the role of AI in today's modern you know, computing. It, essentially, it's becoming pervasive around every use case, every solution. Developers are finding ways of inserting AI to make their application a little bit more capable, a little bit smarter. And that came on fast. You know, that was something that seemed to, to come out of nowhere. But it's great because there's so much you can do with it now that it's it's here. And what we've been working on is really not just AI, but how to take this notion of edge computing with AI and simplify it, make it more democratized so more and more developers have access to this. And, you know, computing's been on that kind of journey. We talked about assembly you know, programming, which basically nobody does anymore. And you look <laughs> at the languages today, they're much higher level, Python and what have you, right? So we, we, for years, we've been on this journey of more and more abstraction, trying to make programming a little bit easier, higher level. And uh, while it's still complex, you can do so much more with code than you know you could do in the past. I mean, what's interesting to me is that right now, as folks are learning how to program and writing code, increasingly they have sort of this AI, you know, pair programmer working alongside them. You know, something that's giving them suggestions if they describe the kind of function they want, or something that's like sort of working in the background and finding you know bugs and memory leaks and best practices. So it's almost like the moment you start, you know, sit down to an IDE these days and start trying to create something, there's a little bit of AI in the background helping you along. Talk to me about, I guess, yeah, some of the use cases and like reference implementations that you think are interesting. We did a blog post earlier this year with Intel, which is about OpenVINO, and I know that relates to what you do. So when it comes to OpenVINO and the Intel Dev Cloud, you know, what are some of the things that you're sort of excited about across different industries? So first off, I'll say when we started looking at AI, you know, one of the things we, we realized is that we could make the application of AI into the industry that people are trying to create with smart cities or healthcare, mm. what have you, right? We can help them make those applications a little bit easier. So the, the tool itself, OpenVINO, was really designed around high-performance inference and mm -hmm. making sure that we could use an API-driven approach using common models or custom models and helping developers then apply that to any piece of silicon, any use case that they're trying to drive across the, the portfolio. So what happens then is you start pairing that toolkit with DevCloud, helping us say, how do I try out my models on a variety of hardware? How do I have a sandbox where I can instantly go and see how things perform? And that helps people drive like real answers to real problems. So if I think about, you know, some of the ones, one of my favorite ones these days is a company called Pressy Taste. And uh, what they've done is uh, look at these quick serve restaurants and they have taken AI into their environment. They've got an application that looks at things like how many cars are in the drive-through and how many people are in the lobby and how much business did we do last week or last month? Right. And then they use that to help define what should we cook? 
you know, how many chickens and how many burgers and how many whatever do we do we need to cook? What it does is it makes that line, it makes that environment go much more quickly. And so they're helping get better business outcomes by leveraging these two tools that we just talked about, right? DevCloud and OpenVINO. Yeah, so there's numerous examples of this, but it's fascinating how you can very quickly put these things together and get a pretty cool solution. Yeah, we're living in this really interesting time. You know, I feel like when I was a reporter at The Verge five, 10 years ago, a lot of AI discussions was centered around, well, will this replace people and will we need universal basic income? And now in this sort of post-pandemic climate, it's really, there's more demand than we can meet. And we need these sort of smart solutions, as you pointed out, to be able to increase productivity and meet demand in very basic areas. Like it's kind of a, I think like a, a watershed moment maybe for some of these technologies to come to the fore. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that what we're seeing is this explosive demand for compute and for technology in, in general. And I've said before that I just I don't think I've seen a, a world where we've got enough compute available for, <laughs> for everything we all want to go do. Right. And so what you know, if I can make a, a developer's life a little bit easier and help them solve one more problem a, a little bit quicker, then you know that's a success. And what about in healthcare? That's one of the ones that always interested me the most. Like you see these studies come out in scientific publications, you know, that are kind of interesting peer reviewed, but just about AI and specifically machine learning's ability to be such an amazing sort of diagnostician, you know, to spot a cancer or a glaucoma in a way that would take a normal person 20 years to learn. And then you can imagine them working through this backlog of, you know, old scans and finding things. How is it that machine learning is able to be so insightful in an area that I think of as very sort of human and biological? It's really that application of, of the technology, you know, there, there's a company, Darwin AI that I'm thinking about here, but they've done, what they've done is they've taken this huge sets of data and really used it to detect different types of, of things. You know, one of them is they can uh, detect COVID and, and they can detect mm. cancers and other things right in there. But they, right. when, I, when you're looking at the data set, you know, this explosion of data that they've got helps them build those models to be able to see what is it that's going on inside of one of those pictures that you might take, say, a CT scan. Based on that, they can go in and say, okay, what is it What you know that helps with the diagnostics? And we're getting much more accuracy there than we've seen in, in the past because of all this data and because of the way that both you know the AI technology in general and the industry is coming together with these models, but also the specific Intel uh, ingredients that we're able to apply to it you know, whether that's the, the OpenVINO toolkit itself that can help make that easier and faster, frankly, coupled with the silicon platforms that we've got can really speed up and has really sped up the detection of those things in, you know, some particular models. And so when you're talking about, you know, the edge and sort of the pervasiveness of computers these days, are there things that, you know, you think maybe people aren't aware of? I feel like people often say now, oh, you know, everything's got a chip in it, you know, my car, my toaster. But when you talk about the edge, I feel like it's, it's almost outside the home. You know, it's, it's in an area that people don't really think about, but yet they have come to expect answers and they've come to expect bandwidth and they've come to expect connectivity. Where do you see the edge sort of playing out in an interesting way that, you know, the average person might be interacting with every day and they're not, I guess, sort of aware of it? You know, uh, so our business, we focus on basically, I'll call it industrial type applications, mm. something, any, everything that's not in your in your home. Right. And there's a lot of really interesting applications there. Uh, one example is maybe smart cities. When you, when you think about the ability to start understanding what's happening around you, uh, traffic, for example, looking at traffic patterns, having AI sort of look at what's happening with a particular stoplight or a particular lane change and not only being able to look at that 
sort of after the fact and say, hey, we can go do better traffic management or planning because we can see that data. But even in near real time, be able to come in and and say, what if we could use AI to help detect a collision that's about to happen and maybe prevent it through different mechanisms that are available on the ground, for example. But that's one example where just in the environment that we all live in or used to live in where we drove to work, um, but as we're driving to to these restaurants that, that we talked about, you know, having AI help us have a little bit safer streets, a little bit safer driving. I mean, that's pretty cool. And we probably aren't even aware that it's that it's there. Yeah. I mean, I've had this experience. I moved from the city to the suburbs a lot of you're driving down a road, you go down all the time. And then one day there's a big, you know, tree branch in the middle and you see everybody swerving around it, swerving around it. Eventually somebody will call, you know, 911 or the, the highway folks and they'll come get it. But if there was just a camera that noticed, hey, you know, all these people are swerving into the opposite lane, maybe that means it's time to send a signal, you know, to the right person and have them come get rid of this tree limb or whatever it is. Those are the sort of automated things that seem like they could be interesting if a machine could sense, as you pointed out, right, something within the traffic pattern that's abnormal or that could be optimized or that's that's unsafe. That's right. And there's a company today, it's called A2VCA. They they do this. They've got, you know, this AI that that detects these risks that you were talking about. And uh, they leveraged our OpenVINO toolkit. You know, they tested this on, on our dev cloud and they have a solution in the market today that people are using and can go and, you know, help make the world better with these AI-based uh, analysis. All right. So let's say I'm a developer and, you know, you'd hear a lot about sort of trying to make it as open and democratized as possible. I'm interested in, you know, checking out the the Intel OpenVINO stuff. What's a, a good way to get started and what kind of, you know, frameworks or tools will I need to know ahead of time to make use of this? One thing that, you know, we're excited about is that, you know, we're always looking for new ways of uh, democratizing, as you said, uh, AI and just development in general. But one of the things that we're really excited about today is that we have this collective that we've launched with Stack Overflow <laughs> okay. uh, using OpenVINO. I'm not going to do the plug. You do the plug. Yeah. This well, is using OpenVINO as kind of the initial technology. Uh, this is pretty cool because, you know, what we have been on this journey of is how do we bring how do we bring our technology out to developers right. and uh, make it more accessible? So instead of having developers always try and come to us, can we go where they are? We know there's a lot of developers on Stack Overflow, yes, L- lots of interaction there. And so you know, using the collective, we're able to be an even greater part of that, right. where we can see what questions people are asking. We can help get them answers and information and you know, just participate in that community in a much, much bigger way. I know this will sound promotional, but it's really not. I spend some time on the collectives because I'm super interested in what's going to happen with them as someone at Stack Overflow. And it's so fascinating to like dive in. There's some questions here today. What are the advantages of 32-bit apps over 64-bit apps? Step-by-step hello world and assembly for Mac OS. IDE tool choice. What's the best for x86 debugging? And what's really interesting to me is like you can go in there and, and check out these questions and see answers. And now they're organized under Intel. So you might have an interest in this area. Obviously, you're, maybe you're working with some of these tools. But some of them, like the IDE tool choice, you know, cross-platform x86 de- debugging, that was active today, meaning people needed that knowledge today. They went and checked it out. They're reading it. But this question was asked 10 years ago. You know, like <laughs> somebody asked this question 10 years ago, and somebody today still needs that information. And so the idea that now there's a way for us to better organize that for people is really exciting to me. Yeah, it's it's terribly exciting. And being able to bring that together, again, makes the developer's life easier. It makes our life easier, too, because we can get those responses much more quickly by having it organized through the tags and the, the collective. 
I think that's one of the key things about engaging with developers is uh, figuring out how how we can legitimately help them because <laughs> it's you know it's not about marketing it's not at all it's about how we help the developer figure out what they're trying to get done and just make it a little bit easier right get them that answer right. a little bit faster put the right tools in their hands at the right time frankly build tools that are going to help them you know solve their problems mm. and when we do that I think that's when we build trust uh, because again it's we're helping them with their goals and so I know you mentioned interoperability talk to me a little bit about that because that is another thing I often hear from developers you know when they're deciding which platform to work with which tool set from which company they want to be able to say look you know I might invest a year working on this project but I don't want to be locked in if later I decide to go to another vendor another platform it needs to be interoperable so how does that work as you're trying to convince developers to use Intel tools or OpenVINO or DevCloud? In what way is it interoperable, quote unquote? Yeah, so first thing I'll, I'll say is that our CEO just did a uh, letter to the open ecosystem. Mm. And you know what he really talked about is Intel's commitment to openness and to right. making sure that we're enabling this openness and choice and trust in the ecosystem. So you, know, you think about that as a backdrop, what we're looking at is how can we help create that open ecosystem where developers are able to collaborate with us right. through, for example, open source projects that we're you know, building software that's more composable so you can take pieces of it and work together with other pieces. Think about you know, Kubernetes services that we're going to put on top of an existing cluster. Right. Or you know, just really making things in a way that is available to developers in the way that they want to use them and deploy them. And then driving that rich and easy developer experience throughout the whole you know, set of work that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's so interesting to me is that there's this kind of growing movement around Web3 and so much of what I think excites developers and especially it seems younger developers about it is it's their chance to, you know, take a crack at building, you know, their version of the internet and the words that definitely come up all the time, aside from blockchain, are, you know, open, interoperable, you know, transparent in the sense that the blockchain is transparent. You know, those are the things that people get excited about because it it lets them feel, as you said, empowered. You know, anybody can contribute. And there's not a, a fear necessarily that after spending a lot of time investing in something, some you know centralized platform might decide to take that work away. Exactly. That's the power of open platforms and open ecosystems right. and you know, open source in general. So yeah, if people want to check this stuff out, like if they want to learn more about OpenVINO or they want to try out some of your reference stuff, what would you recommend? What's a good way to get started? And what are some you know, interesting sort of like projects or tutorials they could try out? So, you know, one place people can always go is uh, software.intel.com. We've got a great collection there of, uh, we have a dev catalog that we just launched that has hundreds of software resources. And within those, you know, what we've done is we put together some reference implementations to show developers a few examples, you know, and what we've done is we look at intelligent traffic management or defect detection, or, you know, some of these things that we think are common problems, common use cases that developers might be interested in building. We've built the solutions, they're open. You can go take a look at the code. You can see the bill of materials and the instructions and how it's all put together, in addition to being able to download it and build it yourself. And uh, use that as a reference for your own designs. Take it and modify it and deploy it if you want, but you know, that, that's a way that developers can come and very quickly see something uh, have, that has been done for a common use case, how they might be able to use it and then go get started on their own. Yeah, we worked on a, a blog post with Intel earlier this year that was about image resolution and super resolution. And I think it was similar. It was kind of cool. They had built a version using OpenVINO and the dev cloud of taking a sort of very blurry image, running it through this AI, and it would kind of produce what it thought 
you know, it should look like in the real world, but then you could also take that, you know, and sort of remix it yourself, I guess would be the way I would put it. And that was what, you know, was interesting about it was that you could apply it within your own application or you could apply it on, you know, a robot that needed to see the world, you know, it was like available as a reference, but also sort of modular as a tool. Exactly. And like you were saying, if you take that reference and you run it on DevCloud, now you can in real time make the changes that you want to the code. You can mm. also run it on all of the edge hardware that's there's hundreds of edge devices literally available on the DevCloud. And you can go and say, well, what happens if I run it on a, a Xeon? What happens if I run it with a VPU? What happens if I run it on an Atom? And through that, you know, you'll be able to get different performance metrics and KPIs and, and understand, you know, what the performance looks like, maybe what the frame rate looks like, what the power usage looks like, lots of different data points that can help you figure out what type of solution you might want to create with that. Yeah, you said VPU and that I was reading through some of the communications center and remembering Movidius. When I was at The Verge, I, I did a bunch of reporting on them and then they were acquired by DJI and I went to work at DJI. That was my introduction to the edge, learning about like a built from the ground up vision processing unit and what that could do in terms of like depth sensing and things of that nature. And then, yeah, that the only way for that to be useful for something like obstacle avoidance on a drone was for it to make the decisions on the edge, not to send it back to the cloud or the controller and try to that latency was just too much too much for a, a drone going 40 miles an hour. That's the neat thing too with these uh, you know increasingly diverse pieces of silicon like the VPU we're talking yeah. about here is you can take that same application that you're using OpenVINO for and because of the way it's written with the right once run anywhere approach, you can run that application on as is across that broad you know portfolio of silicon and then choose the best one or the right one for your particular use case. Yeah, so like you can sort of try it out for a bunch of stuff and see where it fits best in some of the projects that you're working on and then apply it there. This is a question to guess. And this is a question I get constantly uh, when I go talk to customers. They'll say, okay, I, <laughs> I know I'm going to use OpenVINO, but then what's the right silicon for me? You know, do I need a, a big beefy thing or a small thing or a focus thing? And it turns out that the easiest way to get that answer is give it a try. And there's some rules of thumb we could give you around that, but really there's there's no substitute for working code, right? Take your application, drop it into the dev cloud, try it on a variety of silicon and, and find out for sure what the right answer is. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I'm going to shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge. Somebody who came on Stack Overflow, found a question with a score of negative three or less, gave it an answer and got a score of 20 or more. And now that question has a score of three or more. So saved a question from the dustbin of history. Thanks to Vinz with three Zs, create an array of random numbers in Swift. Thanks, Vinz, for that. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. You can always email us, podcast at stackoverflow.com. If you're interested, you can head on over to stackoverflow.com backslash collectives backslash intel. I've been hanging out there just to sort of see what the activity is like. And the thing that's fascinating to me is how it sort of pulls together all these different tags. And like I said, there are questions on there that were asked, you know, 10, five, two years ago that are active today. And to see people still engaging with some of the same ideas and building on top of them and just how open it is. You know, you don't even have to be on, you don't have to be on the collective. You could be anywhere sort of on Stack Overflow and have asked this question. And now it's all gathered up in one place. So I thought that was kind of cool. Bill, tell people again, you know, sort of like who you are, what it is you do. And then, yeah, uh, if they want to learn more about OpenVINO or DevCloud, where they can go check it out. Yeah. So hey, I'm Bill Pearson and I work at Intel. I'm a VP responsible for developer enabling. And, you know, what our mission is, is really just make things easy for developers 
And uh, that has a lot to do with, we call democratizing access to our technologies, to AI, to simplified development models, and just building that great experience for, for developers. You can find more about us at uh, de developer.intel.com, uh, but you can also just head on over to the collective. And uh, that's an awesome resource. We're so excited to see that launched and to have developers you know, using Stack Overflow like they always do, mm. and uh, us to have a much more interactive uh, relationship there. Yes, I'm on the cloud. Why does my kernel crash when I add more arguments to a function? It sounds bad, but we've got an answer for you. So if, if you're having this problem, we can help. All right. Thanks for listening everybody. We'll talk to you soon.